Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It must be good to get back home because it's the Guardians 7, the Kansas City Royals 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And you know what? We got a good game from the Cleveland Guardians yesterday. We bounced back after that loss to Detroit. We now get the other bottom dweller in the division, the Kansas City Royals, and we're able to win a nice holiday game against the Kansas City Royals. You know, I don't need the Guardians to be putting up 8, 10, 12 run games. I would I'd be fine with a 4-2 win, with a 5-3 win. Like, this doesn't have to be all or nothing. It feels like recently it has been, right? And and it was a little bit last year, too, where, like, the, the offense would be in a slump, they'd score nothing, they'd score one run, and then they'd go off for 12. Like, I, I, I want a little more balance to the to the season, I guess. I, I'd be fine. Give me four runs. Give me a few interesting innings throughout the game. Give me something to be invested in. And uh, they did it in this game. They ended up stretching it all the way to a 7-3 to three game. But they did. They made it interesting. They scored in three different innings. There were a lot of different things going on in this game. So let's get into the storylines of this game. And I thought, I thought the storylines were going to be small ball and Jose Ramirez. Uh, but then the bullpen ends up letting them back into the game. It's a 3-1 game going into the eighth inning. They give up two runs in the eighth. And the offense has to go back to work. And it's almost like a second storyline, a second game happens from the eighth inning on, right? It's almost like one through seven were one game and eight and nine were another game. So the storyline in, we'll stick with the Guardians offense to start. And the storyline early was Jose Ramirez. And it was, it was small ball, frankly. Um, you know, get a guy on, get him in, get a guy on, get him in. And Miles Straw working walks at the top of the lineup. As a leadoff hitter, I'm okay with that. I, the batting average isn't as important at the top of the order as the on-base percentage is. Whatever Miles Straw has to do to get on base, if he draws two walks in the game and he comes in to score twice, that's a good game. That's a good game from Miles Straw. And that's exactly what happens. First inning, he gets on with a walk. Ahmed Rosario, give him credit, hits one deep to the warning track in center field. It allows Straw to tag up from first. Jose Ramirez comes up. A single drives in Miles Straw to score. That's pretty easy baseball right there. And that's a nice way to start a game. That's a really good feeling a really good way to start that game. Especially when you just come off a tough 2-1 to loss. Being able to wipe that zero off the board and put up another numeral, that's got to feel good as an offense, right? That's got to be like a monkey off the back to start a game, to just wipe that zero off the board, to see a number up there. We got on the board, hear that uh, Mario coin chime throughout the stadium. If you've never been to a Guardians game, by the way, I know we have some international listeners who probably don't travel that often to Cleveland. Um, they they use the sound effect from Mario when you got a coin and it dings. That's the sound effect they use when the Guardians score a run. So I'm sure you've heard people joke about that on Twitter and stuff like that. Maybe um, that's what they're talking about. Just a sound effect that they use at the stadium. So we get a run across in the first. Then in the fifth inning, let's do it again. Why not in the fifth inning? This time, Miles Straw draws another walk, and uh, this time, uh, Jose Ramirez is not going to settle uh, for just a single. This time, Jose Ramirez is going to make them pay. So, 
with two outs also, by the way, two outs, remind you, uh, Miles Straw with a rock, uh, walk, Ahmed Rosario flies out again, and Jose Ramirez comes up, works a full count this time, and gets one. I would say this pitch is actually a little up and in. And he turns on it at 101.1 miles per hour, 343, a line drive that makes it over the wall in right field. And, you know, Rick Manning was interesting on this one. He's like, why are you pitching Jose Ramirez in? He's got the fastest hands in the game. He's going to turn on this thing. And what's interesting is I looked at Ramirez's charts, and this season he's not actually hitting home runs in that location. Most of his home runs from the left side of the plate have actually come from ah, middle, middle down, middle away, um, maybe one down and in. So not many from up and in like that. Not many from the inside part of the plate. Uh, now, the other side to that is that his bat um, bip and his uh, batting average and his slugging percentage and all that from the middle in uh, part of the plate is high. His slugging percentage... Middle in is 600. Down and in is 875. Up and in is actually nothing. He he hadn't had one uh, up and in uh, like that. So down and in, yes, uh, he is turning on those. That's probably the highest ball that he's turned on all season, according to his zone charts here. Now, so yeah, so he's hitting doubles and triples from those pitches, but not many home runs. He's extending his arms a little bit more on those home runs. So this is the first home run really that he's gotten from this quadrant, um, this part of the plate. So it's a good swing by Jose Ramirez and it makes it a three, one game. And once again, making people play pay for walks, making pitchers pay for walks is a big, big part of this game. Uh, luckily the guardians pitchers don't give up many walks until Sandlin comes in in the eighth inning and he's able to survive them. Uh, we get very, very lucky in this game that Sandlin survives three walks in one inning. We will get to that, though. We will get to that. Um, so, yeah, so Jose Ramirez, another shot earlier in the game. Um, Quan had a nice triple, but unfortunately he can't come in for a run. I want to give him credit because I was hard on him uh, for not getting many extra base hits, for not finding the gaps. He finds the gaps in this one. He is aided by Hunter Dozier with a pretty weak dive at the ball. Should have never left his feet. If he doesn't leave his feet, it's probably just a maybe maybe a double, maybe a hustle double, but at most probably it's just a big turn around first base and then retreating for a single. Uh, but by diving, he lets uh, Quan get a triple out of it. So Quan does get an extra base hit, but they can't bring him around to score. So I wanted to give him credit for that from early in the game. All right. Now, uh, while we're talking the first half of the game, let's also talk Zach Plesak because he was solid for six innings. He really was. The only damage he gives up, the only run he gives up, the third inning he gives up a solo home run. Uh, It was a good swing by Emmanuel Rivera. Frankly, that's okay. We can live with that. We talked about that with McKenzie, right? Solo home runs I can live with. That is not the, the worst thing that can happen. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just one run in an inning like it was in this third, and it doesn't turn into anything else. And that's a that's actually okay. That's something that pitchers can live with, right? It's those crooked numbers. It's walk a guy and then give up a home run like they did to Jose Ramirez. That's when you get crooked numbers on the board. That's when things start to get out of control. So Plesak, he actually keeps things under control. 
He kept his fastball down for the most part. It's six innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, no walks from Plesek, which is huge, five strikeouts. Remember, this is coming off a game where he got beat up. Coming off a game against Houston where he goes four and two-thirds, gives up nine hits, seven earned runs. Uh, only one walk in that game. Uh, but yeah, coming off a game where he really, really struggled, uh, it was a nice bounce-back game for Plesek. And yeah, he kept the fastball down. He kept it under control. Uh, going over to the illustrator here. Um, yeah, he let a few go. He let a few go at the top of the zone. But you could see a big cluster on the plate, on the glove side edge, the outside edge for him. So locating the fastball there, that's a nice job um, by Plesek. Uh, keeps the changeup on the zone two, throws the slider, a few sliders for strikes, lets a few sliders creep across um, the outside of the plate, um, and use the uh, curveball two a few times sparingly. Going over to the CSW numbers for Plesek on this one, it's not eye popping. His whiff rate, he only had eight whiffs, mostly on the four seam fastball, uh, on 49 swings, so it's a 16% whiff rate, so not a huge whiff rate from Plesek. Um, a few called strikes, mostly on the changeup. Got six called strikes on thirteen changeups. He got six called strikes, six foul balls, and one ball put in play. So a good job from the changeup there. It's a forty-six percent CSW on the changeup, only a twenty-five percent CSW total on the day. The rest of the pitches were in the twenties. Um, so nothing eye popping there. His velocity was slightly up. From his yearly average, his yearly average on the fastball had been 91.4. His average yesterday was at 92.6, maxed out at 94.2. That's not bad. Got the fastball velocity up a little bit. That probably helped get a few whiffs on that pitch. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a good job from the changeup, and it's a good job by Plesak kind of controlling the game. Uh, he's still sticking with that four-seam fastball. I don't, I, you know, it has not been a great pitch for him. We've talked about this before. The batting average is down on it from the years past. I mean, they hit, in 2020, they hit 321 off that fastball. In 2021, they hit 325 off that fastball. This year, they're down to 295, which isn't great. Isn't great, but it's better. Um, I mean, in years past, the value, the run value on that forcing fastball last year was plus 18, one of the worst in baseball. Right now, he's got it at minus two run value. That's actually okay. He's not getting a lot of whiffs on it. Um, the whiff percentage on that fastball is only 10.9%. He's not putting a lot of hitters away with it. Only 5.2% put away rate, which means he's only getting 5.2% of the time he's getting it out with that four-seam fastball. Um, so that's not a very high rate there. But you know what? At least the padding average is down a little bit on it. So that's what was going on with Plesek in this game. I thought it was a very controlled a uh, well-paced game, limiting damage. He did have some good defensive plays in that third inning. Owen Miller makes a nice leaping catch at the top. of. It's funny, whenever a guy reaches the top of his range, like you never compare it to anybody else leaping. So Owen Miller makes a leaping catch at first base. It looked cool because he was at the top of his range, but <laughs> we don't know what that looks like if, you know, Andres Jimenez was leaping next to him would Owen Miller's leap actually be impressive, or was it just the top of Owen Miller's range and nothing to compare it to? It's still a good catch by Owen Miller, taking away a line drive. And then Plesek makes a diving catch to his left uh, on a ground ball 
and uh, flips it to first for the out to get out of the inning. So a very athletic play. Don't forget, please act. They talk about it. Is an athlete on the mound can field his position very, very well. And I would say that's out of range for a pitcher. He went beyond the range, beyond the responsibilities of a pitcher to field that ball. So it's a decent start by Plesak. All right, that's the first half of the game. Those are the storylines from the first half of the game. Now the eighth inning. We go to the bullpen. All right, a little tangential to that. Eli Morgan pitches the seventh. He is rock solid. On 10 pitches, he racks up two strikeouts and just mows them down to get out of the inning. And Morgan was hitting the edges. He was pounding the outside edge for him, the glove side edge for him, with four fastballs, threw a changeup out there, threw a couple changeups inside, a nice slider at the knees for a swinging strike against Hunter Dozier. Did let one slider uh, get away from him against Rivera, but just absolutely locating to that glove side. In 10 pitches, he gets out of that inning. I mean, just mows him down. Should he have stayed in there for another inning? Probably probably could have stayed in there and finished the game, frankly. We saw him go multiple innings uh, in the last series against Detroit, I believe. And uh, yeah, Eli Morgan, it's interesting. They want to try to make him a traditional bullpen arm, it feels like. It feels like they want to make him a kind of guy that can go out there and pitch in the seventh and eighth inning two, three days in a row as opposed to a guy that can go out there and give you three dominant bullpen innings, sort of piggyback off a starter once every four days, three or four days, right? So they want to be able to use him more, which means less innings in each appearance. But, you know, he could be an interesting weapon the other way around. You know, we'll see how they use him next time. Does he get two innings next time? Uh, could he be, I mean, that'd be amazing if, if all of a sudden they turned this starter into a seventh and eighth inning setup guy that could do that multiple times in a week. But he only gets one inning in this one, and then they got to turn it over to Trevor Steffen. And Steffen has been, oh man, it looked like he was going to be okay, but then he just kept finding himself back in the middle of the plate. And that's just not going to work. Um, he ends up giving up three hits in a row. He gives up a single to Nicky Lopez, who I felt like Nicky Lopez hits the Guardians better than he does. But I went and looked at his uh, splits, and it's not like he does more damage against the Guardians than anybody else in the Central Division. Um, it was like 266 or something batting average against Cleveland for his career. Uh, and it was about the same for, for some of the other Central Division foes. So... Uh, apparently he doesn't. It feels like Nicky Lopez always hits the Guardians well. He always hits Cleveland well, but apparently not according to his splits. But he starts this off with a single, and it's a pitch that finds itself back over the middle of the plate. Um, I can find it easily on the illustrator here because I look right down the middle of the plate, and there it is, Nicky Lopez's fastball just above the knees, and he's able to get a single on it. And guess what? I can find Whit Merrifield double because it's right there in the middle of the plate. And he's able to hit that for a double, brings in Nicky Lopez to score. And then Benatendi's uh, double, I can find that one. Benatendi's was a little bit outside to Benatendi, but that's where he likes it. And he goes opposite field with it, hits the gap in the opposite field. And that double brings in another run to score. So it wasn't like Stefan was pitching terrible. He just kept finding that fastball back over the middle of the plate. And... Uh, Really, if you look at Stefan's percentile rankings, I mean, he is bright red in a lot of different categories. 
expected expected weighted on base percentage 98th percentile expected era 98th percentile whiff percentage 80th percentile barrel percentage 96th percentile means he doesn't give up barrels he doesn't give up hits really he's been pitching really really well at least he was he was in the month of uh in the month of april it has fallen off wildly in the month of may so in the month of April, he was 2-0 and with a 0 ERA in nine games, 10 innings pitched. He'd only give up four hits the entire month, one unearned run, and 10 strikeouts, no walks. It's a 0.40 whip. That is about as good of a month as you could possibly have as a reliever. For the month of May, totally different story. He's 0-2 with a 9 ERA in 10 games pitched, 8 innings, um, 12 hits, 9 runs, 8 earned, Five walks and only eight strikeouts. It's a 2.13 whip. That is, I mean, you could not be wildly different uh, for Trevor Steffen. It looks like lefties are having a little bit easier of time. Uh, in 33 batters faced, he's given up nine hits to lefties, whereas 41 batters faced, he's only given up seven hits to righties. He's got a 1.64 whip against lefties, a 0.84 whip against righties. Well, the lefty Ben Attendee gets him in this one. Uh, so, yeah, so Trevor Steffen, I, you know, I thought it's not the worst appearance from him. But, man, when that fastball's sitting middle of the plate, it apparently is very easy to hit. On the outside edges, it's a little bit different, right? So he's got to get back to the edges with that fastball. And, uh, frankly, throw that splitter more, man. Throw that splitter. That splitter's been a good pitch for him. Uh, and I'd love to see him go back to it. All right. So then Sandlin comes in and he's got to get out of this inning. He's got a runner on second. What does he do? He just starts walking people like crazy, but he gets an incredibly uh, heads up double play. So he walks Bobby Witt Jr., brings up Salvador Perez, who, you know, has killed the Cleveland pitching in the past, but he gets him to chop one right back to the mound. Heads up, goes to third, fires across the diamond to get double up Perez at first base. That's a huge, huge double play. If that without that double play, this inning could have gotten a lot, lot worse. They intentionally walk Melendez. It brings up Hunter Dozier. Dozier draws a walk. Next thing you know, you got Carlos Santana up with the bases loaded, and he gets him to pop out to second base or behind second base. So it's a good job from Sandlin of getting out of it, but frankly, he was about as wild as it gets. If you look at the illustrator for Sandlin, could not locate the four-seam fastball all over the place. Didn't throw one in the strike zone. Couldn't locate the slider. Could not get one single slider in the strike zone. He got a few of his two-seam sinkers in the strike zone, but that's it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's trouble from Sandlin. If he can't locate, and it feels like it's been like this before, where that slider, he just can't find the edge, that glove side edge with the slider. He keeps missing across the zone with that slider. And uh, that's not good. That is not, uh, you know, he's got to be able to get that pitch in the strike zone a little bit. He's got to get back. His stuff is nasty. Sandlin's stuff is nasty. He's just got to get back to throwing strikes. But he's able to get out of it. And Sandlin, if you look at him, he's got weird splits for April and May. In the month of April, he had a 470 ERA, but he only had a 0.91 whip, which is good. Uh, whip under one is really great. Remember, that's walks, hits, 
per inning pitch. Now for the month of May, he's got only a 1-2-3 ERA. The ERA comes way down for the month of May, but he's got a 2.32 whip because he has 13 walks in the month, including the three yesterday. He only had two walks in the entire month of April. He's up to 13 walks, but he's only given up one earned run for the entire month. So a very strange month for Nick Sandlin. A very strange two months when you look at that. For the ERA and the whip to kind of be opposite each other uh, is pretty bizarre. So uh, they uh, they get out of that inning with a 3-3 game, and that brings up the Guardians in the uh, bottom of the eighth, and they put together a little rally. Once again, a walk. Once again, they would pay for an early walk. They would walk Josh Naylor with one out after Owen Miller lines out. Oscar Gonzalez comes up. One thing we didn't talk about is Gonzalez had a moment here in this game where he catches a ball in the right field corner. It's a good running catch. He does not realize how many outs they are, and he flips the ball into the stands for a souvenir. But there was a runner on first base, and he ends up all the way on third base. Now, Plesak is able to get a strikeout to get out of it, but Oscar Gonzalez obviously felt just mortified. Just, I mean, you you could not be more embarrassed than Oscar Gonzalez was in that moment. You know he was carrying that with him. He strikes out in his next at-bat, but he does come up here in the eighth inning. And once again, another multi-hit game for Oscar Gonzalez. Once again, another hard-hit ball. He singles at 97.9 miles per hour, and it puts two runners on for Andres Jimenez. Now, Andres Jimenez had struck out earlier in this game on a high fastball, and he shook his head like, what am I doing? Why am I chasing these high fastballs? And uh, I went over to Andres Jimenez's page here, and yeah, he will uh, he will take Ks at the top of the zone. His K percentage up above the zone is pretty high. At the top of the zone is pretty high. Down and in is also a place where he will strike out. His whiff percentage is really high at the top, up and away. He's at 53% whiff percentage. Um, that's outside the strike zone. That's in the shadow in the outside part of the plate. So, yeah, so he will strike out up there. However, they decide to throw him on a full count. I believe it was a full count against him. They decide to go middle of the plate down. They decide to attack him down. Instead of going up and getting him to try to chase something up at the top of the zone, in fact, everything from Colin Snyder was middle to down. He did not get one pitch uh, at the letters even. He could not get anything up. So everything is middle of the plate, basically, except for the first pitch, which is in the dirt. Everything is middle of the plate for Andres Jimenez. He misses a little away. He misses a little in. And he finally gives him a two-seam sinker right down the middle, a little bit between between the thighs and the belt, really, right below the belt. And he cranks it 104.8 miles per hour, 405 to center field. It's a three-run home run for Andres Jimenez. And yeah, for a guy that strikes out at pitches at the top of the zone, you get a relief pitcher that literally cannot get anything to the top of the zone. If you go back to the illustrator and you look at Colin Snyder's pitch chart, he couldn't get anything above the top of the zone. He got one pitch maybe to the letters against Oscar Gonzalez, a pitch that he fouled off inside. He cannot get anything to the top of the zone, and he pays for it. He absolutely pays for it. Now, normally, we would say that it's a good thing uh, to be pitching down 
right, to be keeping your pitches down. But not in this situation, not when you're going against Andres Jimenez, who strikes out at the top of the zone. There are situations where going to the top of the zone, you know, has its benefits. Um, But they just can't get it done here against Andres Jimenez, and he makes them pay. And that's huge for Andres Jimenez. Uh, It was his only hit of the game, three RBIs. He had walked earlier in the game. Um, A huge three-run home run to blow this game wide open. Quan would actually get hit by the pitch, and that would actually turn into a run. A little bit more small ball puts across that last run in the eighth inning, makes it a 7-3 game, and Klasse shuts the door in the ninth inning with two strikeouts on 10 pitches. So both him and Eli Morgan, very efficient in their innings of work on 10 pitches, two strikeouts, getting out of those things. So it's a fun win for the Guardians, but it really is the tale of two games. I mean, the eighth and the ninth inning are their own world, man. And uh, the Guardians are able to scratch out a win. Two runs from the KC in the top of the inning, and then four runs from the Guardians in the bottom of the inning. That was a fun, that one will wake you up, right? That one will keep you interested in baseball. That's a fun inning right there. So that is all my thoughts on this one. Man, we went into a lot of detail on this. Uh, everybody had their moments in this, right? Jose Ramirez has his moments early. Oscar Gonzalez has plenty of moments in the game, including two hits and the uh, goof of all goofs out there in right field. Um, yeah, Owen Miller was back in the four hole, but it didn't matter because him and Josh Naylor didn't really have much of an impact on this game. Naylor drawing that walk in the eighth inning, though, does start that rally, but he does go 0 for 3 at the plate. Uh, oh, that's right. He doesn't get credit with the run score because Ernie Clement came in to pinch hit. So Ernie Clement is actually the run that comes in to score in, or pinch run who comes in to score in that eighth inning. So, uh, yeah, so everybody had their moments. Quan gets a run, gets a big triple, ends up getting a run in that eighth inning. Hedges didn't do anything from the nine hole. That's, that's rough, man. Hedges is not hitting 152. I want to see more Luke Maley up to bat, frankly. Uh, Maley hits a little better. Obviously, they like the way Hedges calls a game better, and that's why he's getting more starts. But I want to see Maley's bat in there more. So, yeah, everybody has their moments in this one. Uh, a lot of hard hit balls. Man, the top of the order. My God, with the hard hit balls. Two for straw, although it doesn't turn into hits. He gets on base twice via the walk. Three for Ahmed Rosario. Three for Jose Ramirez. Three hard hit balls for Owen Miller. The top of the lineup was definitely trying to do something today after we dogged him yesterday for going, what was it, like 0 for 11 uh, and not getting on base. They definitely were trying to do something at the top of the lineup to set up some rallies and it worked. It turned into some runs. So a good win by the guardians in this one. Yeah. It had its moments. It definitely had its shaky moments, but it's a good win by the guardians with all that on the day though. I gotta say Andres Jimenez, when you hit a big three run home run to blow open a game in the eighth inning, you definitely got to take home MVP on the day. It almost doesn't matter what led up to that moment. It's a three, three game Runners on base for you, and you deliver the big three-run home run. Andres Jimenez, you're taking home MVP for the day. I don't know why I forget some days to do my own segment, but I remembered it on this one, and I will try to continue to remember it. Andres Jimenez, your MVP for the day. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. That was a lot of detail uh, for this game. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about, let's see, who is pitching tonight for the Guardians. Uh, it's going to be Quantrill going against Lynch. 
So Quantrill back on the mound. The one and three record wouldn't, you know, say much, but he's pitching pretty good this season. The 3.42 ERA says a lot more, and he's going against Lynch for the Royals. Uh, it's a left-handed pitcher, so expect some righties to be in there. Expect Ernie Clement to probably start somewhere on the field. Uh, we'll see if Andres Jimenez stays in there against a lefty or what they do. Uh, who gets that start at second base? So that's all my thoughts on this one. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Oh, again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Guardians 7, the Royals 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.